You may be seated. It's powerful when we sing songs of worship like that, and I always appreciate the band leading us in that time, and it, it gives words to our mouth and, and expression to maybe what we're feeling. When I think about this idea of, God, help us to be more aware of your presence, your Holy Spirit, God, that we would just yield more of ourselves to you to transform us, to change us. If that's truly our prayer, if that's truly our desire, which I believe it is, man, we should be floored. We'll be floored by what God can do and the new beginnings, and the new things that he has for us this year as we give ourselves and allow God's spirit to work and transform us. So here we are on this first Sunday of 2016. Let me just say to you too as well, Happy New Year. I know you're getting tired of saying that, I'm sure, but it is still a new year. How can we get so excited for it? And then like three days later, we're already thinking like, oh, man. And how many of you, it takes like a month, you're going to be writing 2015 on, your, on anything that you write, right? We get, try to turn over and to get ready into that new year. But there's always so much hope. There's always so much anticipation, so much looking forward to, at least for me, when it comes to a new year. And I believe that's true for, for most people. We have a new opportunity, regardless of how your year went before. Even if you've had a great year, I think there's still hope for a new year. We're ready to put a year in the books and start a new year. And especially if you've had difficulty and pain and challenge, there's a fresh beginning. There's a new start. There's things to build on. I always like to take some time at the end of every year, typically on December 31st. I, uh, my wife already knows I like to get away for a few hours. And I just want to take some time to like, absorb some of the things that happened in the previous year. I like to read through a couple of journal entries and, that, I, that I had and, and the things that I've experienced and just kind of sit there for a little bit and, and, and just digest what God has done in the past year. But what never ceases to amaze me is how the year unfolds compared to where maybe I thought it would begin. Last year, 2015, when I thought what this year might hold, you know, we have expectations, we have hopes, we have goals, and some of those things happen, but quite frankly, a lot of those things don't. And the majority of things come our way that we had sometimes no idea what was going to come and how it was going to unfold. And it just reminds me that we just do need to be aware of God's presence. We need to be open as we approach a new year to say, God, how are things going to happen? How can I live this year with expectancy, looking forward to what you're going to do? And so we begin a new year, and it's this opportunity to turn the page to start fresh, to start new, and to see what God has for us in this year. And, and so for me, even as a pastor here, one year in the books, we're starting a new year, and I am excited for what God wants to do in our church. I'm excited about this series and starting off this way, and you'll hear more about it as we move along. But, but it's a new beginning, and it's a new chance. And we might think things like, this is the year I finally, I finally what? Have you done some resolutions? Have you made any plans? Do you have any goals? I'm just kind of curious. How many of you do set like a resolution? How many? Okay. How many of you aren't admitting that you set a resolution, a resolution right? Or goals? You know, we like to think this is the year where things can be different. This is the year where I finally, you know, where I lose that weight, where I can fit into those jeans, right? Or this is the year, right, where this, it's going to happen for my relationships. This is the year where I get that promotion, this is the year where I get out of debt and we have hopes and goals and dreams. This is the year where I read the Bible through all the way. This is the year where I go to church every Sunday. If that's your resolution, you are batting a thousand percent here this morning. Way to go, guys. You guys get a hand, all right? One for one in the new year. Let's keep it going. 
okay? Let's keep it going. We set a lot of New Year's goals and resolutions, and there's so much, uh, as, even as we see out in the media and in commercials about how to make your life better in the new year, especially around the area of fitness, right? I mean, the commercials right now, they're just bombarding you, like, get in the gym, and here are the discounts, because they know we make these goals. We want this year to be better than the last year. Maybe we can get around our health and our exercise and our energy, and I know when I go in the gym tomorrow morning, it's going to be packed. But you know when it's not going to be packed anymore? Wednesday. <laughs> it doesn't take long, does it, right? We set these goals and these hopes, and, and, we, and, we, and what is it? Why is it so difficult to, to make some of the changes in the course of a year? Now, or, or even in the course of a small period of time. Now, on New Year's Day, our girls woke up, and, and it was an unusual morning, I think because we kept them up later, but they woke up earlier, and, and they were just nice. They were sitting there. They were playing games. They were, yeah, that's an unusual morning. They were, they were just, you know, all four of them. Not one of them had an issue. And, and I, I thought this would be a good moment for a family, you know, little forum. And so I said, girls, isn't this nice? I said, how about this year, on January 1st? Like, this will be the year from here on forward, this whole year, no more fighting, no more arguing. No, nobody raises their voice. We're all going to share our things. Isn't that great? Don't we want this? And you know, they all said, yeah, let's do it. This is great. And so I was like, all right, I got it. We made a resolution. We're going to stick to it. And how long did it last? <laughs> 2 p.m., right? I mean, it wasn't, wasn't very long. And, and it's kind of weird because you think these are all really good things, and yet they're so hard sometimes to follow through. So just forget those goals. I mean, just go home. I mean, this is not even, it's not even worth it. Now, I mean, these things are good. They do add value to our life. You know, it's nice to be skinnier, wealthier, healthier, more travelier, less smokier, more organizier, more readier. I mean, more of all that stuff, a lot of that stuff, it's good. I mean, it is really good for us. But what I love about this role and what I love about being able to have the opportunity to, to speak and to share and break open God's word is that God always calls us to to something deeper. God always calls us to something more than just setting some good goals even for us to do some of these things in our life. That he calls us to something much more than just self-improvement. And so what God is calling us to is, is, is more fulfillment. It's not just about, again, being skinnier or being healthier or a thicker you know, portfolio, but he's calling us to some important things, focusing not on what we can get, but on what we can give. Now, you don't hear a lot of that out in the media. Focusing not on ourselves at the center, but what about being part of something bigger? You know, this new series, Mosaic, how can we be a part of something bigger? What would this life, this year, look like when we aren't at the center, when it's not just all about us, but it's about, God, what do you want to do through us? Could it be that in giving up our own lives, we might actually find true life, that elusive peace that we've been looking for? And so over these next several weeks in the series, we're going to discover how you were created to have a distinct and unique role in the unfolding plan of God's mosaic in this world, to bring life, to bring hope, to bring healing to this world, and how God is inviting us into that peace. Over these next several weeks, what I want you to walk away with and why I encourage you to keep coming back and not miss one of these weeks is because I want us to be able to see the bigger picture. Sometimes we don't see what God is up to and what he's calling us into. So I want us to expand our eyes, expand our sights and horizons to see the bigger picture that God is, is calling us into. And I want us to be able to walk away after a few weeks of this as we dive into this for you to be able to say, this is what I was made for. This is what God created me for. This is why he made me the way I am. This is why I have purpose and I have reason for being and it's going to bring that fulfillment for you that only comes when we surrender ourselves to what God has.
And so we use this term mosaic as I thought about how do I convey this idea? How can I convey this image to our church, to, to us as a, as a community? And, and the picture of mosaic just kept coming into my mind. And how many of you guys have seen mosaics? You guys know mosaics? Some of you have them like in your you know, entryway when you come into your house, right? Little tiles that make a, a nice pattern and together they make a nice picture. Or maybe you've seen them if you've traveled or you see them in, in churches or in galleries. And, and, uh, and they're, you know, it's just a single piece that, you know, lots of little pieces put together to create a beautiful mosaic. Now, I remember one that was really stunning for me that I, that I saw, and it was in Milan, Italy, and it's in the Galleria Vittorio Emanuele uh, Duo, Duo. Is that good? Everyone translate what that is? I have no idea. I tried my best. Um, but it is. Basically, it's, it's a, it was made in the 1860s, and it's two streets that, that kind of form a T, but they're completely covered in, uh, in glass and iron dome. And in the center, there's a dome between those four. And that's pretty impressive in and of itself. It was like the forerunner of the modern malls, actually, in stores and restaurants and shops. But what for me was even more impressive than that is as I looked down, these entire two streets were all lined with just mosaic. It was all mosaic and people walking everywhere, these, these beautiful crests from different cities. And, then, and so you see this beautiful picture going in all directions. But then as you look down, you see these individual pieces. They're just different shapes. They're different colors. And somehow they are put together into this beautiful larger piece. And when I think about this year and I think about our church and what this mosaic looks like is how can we see ourselves as part of a bigger picture? Because these individual pieces in that mosaic, you know, you think, what, what does that do? What does one little piece do in the, in the bigger scheme? But each piece, a different size, a different shape, and it's the connection of those pieces to the whole that makes it so powerful. I mean, a piece like this is pretty nice if you looked at it and you go, that's a pretty cool thing. I know our girls would think they kind of had something special. It's got, you know, it's kind of shiny, it shimmers, it's got polished edges, and, and it's smooth, and, and it kind of reflects light and the, the green that's in there. And it's a beautiful thing in and of itself. But how much more when it begins to find its beauty in the larger picture of the mosaic? Now, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, there's these, this, this beautiful verse, and let's take a look at it together here, where it says, we are God's masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And so as a foundation even for the series is for us to understand that it's not just we. Sometimes we go, oh, I'm God's masterpiece. Yes, individually, we are a masterpiece. This is a pretty cool masterpiece. But what the scripture is saying and what this is being written to is being written to a church is saying we together as the body of Christ, as those that are part of what God is doing, we together are God's masterpiece. He's an artist and he's a craftsman. He's putting a mosaic together. And in this mosaic, in this bigger picture, he says he has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So he's turning us, making us into something through Christ Jesus. And he says this, so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. That you need to understand, we need to understand this morning that we have a part in the mosaic, that God has prepared something very specific in this picture, in this world of what he wants to do, that he planned for us long ago. I mean, to think, God planned something for me to do long ago, and I'm trying to make sure and figure out, God, what is it that you have created me to do and to be and to find in my life? And he has done that and wants that for each and every one of us. And what, that hap what begins to happen when each of our unique pieces begin to come together? What begins to unfold? What is that mosaic? What is that picture that God, the master artist, is trying to put together? And we're going to discover that in the course of these few weeks as well. 
And how does each individual piece fit into that beautiful mosaic? Because it's when we find our place in God's mosaic that we discover true life. Now, here's the thing. It's easier said than done. It's easier said than done. And somebody's going, okay, well, I just want to find my purpose, my place, and, and I'll get about that. But Jesus, sometimes he makes things harder for us, right? We want to say, well, it's easier, but he's often challenging us through some difficult things. And here's, here's what I want us to, to look at. Jesus said some very difficult words. I think it's some of the hardest in all of Scripture. And he says this. He says, if you try to keep your life for yourself, you will lose it. If you try to keep your life for yourself, you will lose it. Now, if that's all you kind of heard and know, you kind of go, wow, what is, what's, Jesus, what are you getting at? Because isn't the reality that we all are wired as human beings to keep our life? I mean, all of us want to hold on to our life. We want to squeeze everything we can out of life. It's our human nature to make the most of it, self-improvement, advancement. After all, it's the American way, is it not? Right? To be more successful, to climb the ladder. And, and I think in our world, if media is any indication, we have a fascination with the rich and famous celebrities, power and politics. There's something about seeming like those people have arrived at some level. Those people have made something in their life and somehow they have a more precious piece in this puzzle or something about that. And even if maybe that we aren't, you know, maybe we get, the, we don't even want to have anything to do with that. But in our own lives, now we're trying to say, I want to keep my life. I want to make the most of this life. And, and that's not a bad thing, is it? It's good to be healthier. It's good to read more books. It's good to do these things. But what we do is we end up starting to polish our, our peace. We're starting to try to get our life just perfect, get the edges just right, make it a little prettier here, maybe a little thicker there, add a few things around us. And we're, we spend our life building this mosaic. And we go, look at my life. I'm building it. I'm, and, and we're trying to hold on to it. And then comes these words, and Jesus says, if you try to keep your life for yourself got some bad news for you. You're going to lose it. How do we lose our life? I mean, isn't it better, again, to be skinnier, healthier, wealthier, more successful? Isn't it great if we had all the resources at our disposal? If that's the case, do you know that Scottsdale, Arizona, Fountain Hills, Arizona, we should be some of the happiest people in the world? Right? We should be some of the most fulfilled and happy people in the world, according to what we hear in culture. I mean, if success is any measure of that, if not having a nice car or having a nice house, having a good job, career things, if that's a part of it, we ought to be thrilled. And yet, there's divorce happening, there's suicides happening, there's depression, there's stress that's off the charts. This is how we lose our life. It's not found there. And, and I've had the opportunity, my wife and I, to, to be on missions in, uh, in Haiti, the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. Literally, the majority of people have almost absolutely nothing. And you know what I see there? The brightest smiles. Joy. I hear more laughter, singing, dancing, community, engaging. How is that? If life is found in holding on to our life and making everything we can to give this life the best polish and the best sheen and the best look possible, and yet, isn't it a scary thought to think that we could come to the end of our life so having pursued these things because we think life is found there and then to realize life wasn't found there. We pursued all of these things and life was just not there, at least not true life. Some good things for sure. Some things that we enjoyed, some things that made our life better, but the true life, the life that gives us meaning and significance and value that, that we so long for isn't found there. Where is it found? Well, let's look at the context of this verse as Jesus continues to speak. This is actually Mark 8, 35. 
So let's take a look at that. And he begins again by saying, if you try to keep your life for yourself, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, what are you going to find? You're going to find true life. And it's like, ah, Jesus, why do you make it so hard? (laughs) Why do I have to give up my life in order to find true life? Like, let me just hold on to it and then give me my life and then it's my life. Because he's saying it's just never going to work. That success, that formula does not work. It will leave you empty and searching and searching and going on that treadmill forever and ever. There's something more. You've got to give up your life. But for what? To give it up. For my sake, Jesus says, and for the sake of the good news, for the sake of what God is doing in the lives of people and in the community all around us. When you give it up for that, then you're going to find true life. This peace will find true life when it finds itself in the bigger mosaic of what God is doing. There's a story in the New Testament about a man who comes to Jesus, and sometimes it's called the, the story of the rich young ruler. Those are three pretty good adjectives if you're a young guy, right? Rich, young, powerful, have the resources and going, this guy's made it. I mean, his, his piece is pretty polished, it's pretty cool. And, uh, and yet, and so he comes to Jesus and he realizes that there's something missing. I want something more. I'm trying to do all the right things. He's a guy that's been disciplined, that has been accomplishing goals and achieving things, and even comes to Jesus with that kind of laser focus type A kind of personality. He says, all right, I've done all these things. What else must I do to have eternal life? He realized there's something missing. I need something more in my spirit. And I love the way Jesus, it says Jesus looks at him. He just had compassion on him. He looked at him with these loving eyes, just looking through him and realizing, here's somebody that longs to feel the fullness of life, and he can't find it in all these things around him. And Jesus looks at him, and he says, all right, go and sell all your possessions, give everything you have to the poor, and then come follow me. And again, I think we read this as, uh, I read this, I'll speak personally, I read that scripture, and I go, oh, that's hard. Jesus, that's harsh. Sell everything. Surely this is not true for all of us, right? Please, God, that can't be so in Scripture, right? And I don't think it's a prescriptive for everyone in Scripture. Jesus did not go to every single person, tell them to sell everything they have in order to follow him. But what I think Jesus saw, he looked at the man, and what he saw was somebody who wanted everything that life had to offer. And he tried to hold on to everything in his life, and he was losing it. And Jesus said, you know, just allow me. Give it over to me. That thing that you've got wrapped so tightly that you can't let go, let go of that and watch what I want to replace that with. Let my mosaic become, your mosaic become part of what I want to do in this world. Because he's inviting him, he says, come and follow me. And then I think one of the saddest lines in all of, of scripture, this man was in this moment wrestling with going, do I hold on to what I have or do I let it go and follow Jesus? And that tension, you can just feel it. And he makes the choice to say, I can't. And it says he turned his head and he walked away sad. And you step back, and it's easy for us to step back now and look and go, man, you were there with Jesus. He's calling you into this amazing life. He's offering it to you, and you you walked away sad. But I get it. I understand it. I think we can relate. But then I think about the disciples and other stories, these lines, come follow me. Jesus is walking along the shore, and there are these professional commercial fishermen. And he walks up to them and, and he just simply says, come and follow me. You know, now you're fishing for people, but I'm going to make you fishers of men. Come and follow me. And that same invitation came, come and follow me. Be part of something bigger. And I go, and it says they dropped their nets and followed him. 
I'm like, there's, surely there's got to be more to the story. They didn't just leave everything to follow him. But, but something about Jesus compelled them in that moment to say there's more to it. There's more to this life than what I have right now, and I want to be a part of that. And Jesus, using that analogy, says, you're, you're, you're commercial fishermen. And they continued to fish in different ways after, after this calling. They continued to do some of that. But he said, look, there's something else that's going to bring you to life. Be a part of my mission of fishing for people, investing in life change, healing brokenness, restoring what, what needs to be restored, bringing life and hope and peace and truth, bringing true life to the world. And I invite you to come with me. And Jesus continues to extend that invitation to us. He's constantly extending it to us. Come and follow me. Lay down your life. Come and follow me. Look at what it says in the, in the again, larger context of this verse. Now, the verse before and the verse after, looking at Mark 8, 34 and 35. Then he called his disciples and the crowds to come over and listen. If any of you wants to be my follower, he told them. So they're coming and listening, right? And he's saying, if you want to be my follower... You must put aside your selfish ambition, shoulder your cross, and follow me. If you try to keep your life for yourself, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you'll find what? True life. And then he asks this question. He kind of just leaves it out there. I think it's a question he still asks us. Is, and how do you benefit if you gain the whole world but you'll lose your own soul in the process. Is anything worth more than your soul? The invitation continues to come. Jesus says, come. Come and follow me. Come and be a part of what I'm doing. There's this mosaic. There's this great picture of what I want to do and, and what I want you to be a part of in this world. Come and follow me because that's where life is found. You know, he didn't say, come and listen to me. Come and memorize what I taught. Come and read a book about me. Come to church. Come and sit. Come and observe. He said, come and follow. Come and walk with me. And he invited these 12 men, and he invited many others that, were, that became his disciples into a life that was going to be so much more. Now, did it cost them something? Did they have to give something up? Yeah, it never comes without a cost. But are we willing to trade in what is empty and ultimately leaves us Searching for something that can bring us true life. And Jesus began to build a mosaic with those that come and respond to him saying, yes, I will come and follow God. How do you want to use me? Teach me. Show me. He said, I'm going to teach you how to fish for people. And I think they came and they, they were a part of that because they wanted to be part of something bigger. And I think our hearts all long to be something bigger than the, than the rat race of this life, than the, the self-absorption uh, that we feel. And we're all prone to it, every single one of us. You know why we're prone to it? You know why we can get caught up in it? Because we're Americans. <laughs> because we live here. And nobody else tells you this, and the world does not tell us this. But this is where true life is found, and so we need to push back on that. And I think we long to be part of something bigger than ourselves. To say, I want more. I want God to use me. And I think when we're younger, when we're in our teens or when we're in our 20s, I used to do youth ministry, and one of the things that I loved is that just that, that young people believe they can change the world. And we sit back as adults and go, <laughs> they'll find out soon enough. <laughs> you ain't changing the world. 
but try. You can do it. You can do whatever you want, we say, but deep down inside, you look at our own lives and we go, I'm just trying to pay the bills. I'm trying to get a little more enjoyment out of life, make things a little bit easier, have a little bit more of a buffer, and, and that's, that's this life. And we find ourselves searching. We want to be part of something bigger and to know our place. And then to know that, that God has created this masterpiece where he says, I have a purpose and a plan. I've created you to be part of this masterpiece. And, and when you're not part of that masterpiece, there's something missing. And I have that for you. Come and you'll discover true life, what it is all about. Just even a conversation this past week with, with, uh, with a couple of people in, in, our, in our church here. One, one's a wealth manager and was telling me, be, me about a couple who... Is, uh, is getting along in, in years and has just a bucket of money. And you know what their goal is? They want the bucket to be bigger. And they don't give anything anywhere to anyone, nothing charitable. But they're not living a tremendous, amazing life. But it's something about, I've got to get that bucket bigger. And then recently, this, the wife was diagnosed with cancer. And all of a sudden, their world is in turmoil. There's nothing of significance and meaning that they're able to hold on to and realizing that this money cannot buy them what they need. And there's a hollowness there, and there's a searching there, and there's a looking there that, that, that doesn't, doesn't pan out. And, and I'm just hearing the story of, of this, this couple who I just want to go, I just wish that they would know Jesus. I, I wish they would understand and know what difference happens in their life when they begin to realize that you can live beyond yourself that God has a plan and a purpose for you, that you can be a part of restoring and redeeming this world, the good news of Jesus Christ. He wants to use you to make a difference. I had a conversation with someone else in the church this week who just said, you know, this was something that was foreign to me, and all of a sudden one day the lights went off. I never understood that God could use me, that God has a purpose for me, that there's more to this life than just trying to, to provide for my family and get ahead in life. And so he went on a missions trip, said, I just want to swing a hammer. He's an executive in this company, but somehow just wanted to do something different. Let me swing a hammer, build some walls, and experience just what that's about. And something began to spark in him. But God began to use his gifts and his talents in, in the executive corporate world to also become a leader of leading trips and multiple different trips and, and being involved in disaster relief and starting to realize there's more, that's where I come alive to life, is when I pour into others. And as they were looking for a church and becoming part of a church, one of the things that drew them here to McDowell Mountain Community Church was this passion to love others, no strings attached, to do something in the community, to be active, to get out and live beyond ourselves. Because they understand that's where life is, is found. And so the challenge comes to us is as we start this new year, is it going to be a resolution to do some self-improvement? Do those things. They're great. I'm happy for you. I try to do those things too. But there's a bigger, deeper calling to be part of something bigger. My heart and passion for us as a church is I feel like we are just scraping the surface of the potential that is here. We're just scraping the surface of this potential. Every conversation that I have with you guys, when I hear what you do in your life and how you're passionate and how God has gifted and you know, given you talents in so many ways, I think, man, what can happen explosively through this congregation? When we multiply beyond our walls, when we multiply what we do here, if we would engage beyond attending to being a part of this community and leveraging and finding our place in the mosaic of what God is doing. Because there is a place for you in this mosaic here. God brings the church together for a purpose and a reason. And you can find your place here. But you know what? Our mosaic as McDowell Mountain Community Church is part of a larger mosaic of what God is doing in Phoenix. 
And that mosaic is part of a larger mosaic of what God is doing in this country with churches and all around. But that mosaic is even bigger. The church is way bigger than what God is doing in America. God is working around the globe. And this mosaic around the whole globe, we have a part in that. When we go on missions trips to Dominican and to, to, to Mexico, and when we support missionaries in different parts of the world and church plants local and far, we are a part of that mosaic. But you know what? That mosaic is even part, if you pan the camera out a little further, it's part of a mosaic that extends through history and that we are building on what was there before and we are continuing to build on what Jesus began with his disciples. And if we could pan out even more, we'd come to realize that even what we're doing in this mosaic is part of what God wants to do in the future. And that excites me because I believe what I am called here to do and what excites me is to say, how can we just motivate and engage and leverage each of us here for this kingdom that God is calling us to do to make a difference? to change people's lives, to bring hope and healing. And in the process, we find and discover our true life. I so long for each one of us here to be able to say, I know what I'm made for. To be able to put your head to bed at night and at the end of a week and saying, you know what? I know why I'm here and I know why God has called me here. And he's using me to make a difference in the lives of people. And over these weeks, we're gonna unpackage that. And what does that look like? What does this kingdom mosaic look like? What does it look like here for our church? And then we're going to spend several weeks about helping you understand who you are and what he's called you to. So that's my desire. And I'm so excited when I think about what God can do. Now, if you've been a part of our church for the last several months or been around, um, you've heard us talking about launching a new church. And when I think about a kingdom mosaic, when I think about something that we're a part of, this is exciting to me. This is what multiplication is all about. This is what extending ourselves is all about. We are starting a new church and partnering with Arcadia City Church. Arcadia City Church, and part of this core of that, that is forming this church begins with two of our staff members and their families, and then several other families from our church who are stepping out to say, we want to make a difference. We want to start a new church in that city that reaches that community. And they're stepping out from here, and in partnership with us, are, stepping, are, are going out. And what we want to do this morning, on this Sunday, as we, as we officially send them to say, we come around you, we want to pray for you, we want to support you, and I want you, us this morning to understand our part in that bigger mosaic. And so this morning, I'm going to ask, um, I want to ask the, the leaders to come forward. I want, if, uh, if Michael, Faye, and Christy could come forward, and Cody and Kristen Bracey, if uh, you guys are, are here, um, I want to just hear from you briefly about what God is doing. These are the founding uh, pastors of this church, and uh, we are excited about that. It was a few, a few months, actually, back early in the spring of last year that Michael began to share with me this, this growing passion to start a church. We talked about, all right, how can we, how can we do that? Because it's never easy, quite frankly, right? We, we want to grow and we want to draw in people and whatnot, but at the same time, God is preparing us for something bigger. And that began to unfold, and in October, uh, you stepped full-time into that role of beginning to lay the foundation for the church. And then Cody here, this is his last Sunday with us. Cody is on staff with our student life team, one of our ministry directors, and is a beloved member of our church and staff. And I know it's not easy, especially for the students in the, in the student ministry. You have poured your heart into them. You've poured your life into them. You're a coach. You're a mentor. And if you know Cody, whatever he does, he does with full abandon and with full passion. And it leaves a hole here for sure, but it's a hole that we can step into and that some of you will be stepping into. But we just want to say, I just want to say on behalf of the church, Cody, that we have been so blessed by your ministry here. 
And uh, we are excited because we know the two of you, all four of you, the whole team are, are, are such a powerful team and what God is calling you to do. And so we just want to thank you. Church, would you express your appreciation for Cody uh, and his ministry here? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I would have been, that was way easier first service. Um, I was telling first service that Chris and I showed up three and a half years ago 